0: Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called for him from within the bush. Moses, Moses, Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Well, at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look on God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey. Well, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites. Has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses answered, But what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, Well, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What's that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, well, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. But then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand this the lord said is so that they may believe that the lord the god of their fathers the god of Abraham, the god of isaac and the god of jacob has appeared to you
1: thank you so much Uh, thank you for your welcome it's lovely to be here with you again let's pray Father, thank you for your precious gift of your word. Thank you that through your word you reveal yourself to us, your nature, your plans, your purposes, your desires for us and for your worlds. Lord, as we now reflect and meditate upon your word, may we have ears that are open to hear what you want to say to each and every one of us and hearts that are receptive and willing to respond. Lord, we want to be your obedient servants, your children, that we may bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a poem that I came across a few years ago I'd like to read to you. Uh, Sadly, I can't tell you who it's written by um, because I've never managed to find out. So if anyone recognizes it and knows who who it's attributed to, do let me know. But um, uh, but it's a a poem called Whose Hands that I've always found quite uh, uh, challenging and inspiring. Whose Hands. A golf club, in my hands, is worth very little, whereas in Rory McIlroy's hands... It's worth a fortune. It depends whose hands it's in. A tennis racket is useless in my hands, whereas a tennis racket in Andy Murray's hands is a Wimbledon championship. Depends whose hands it's in. A rod in my hands might catch the occasional minnow, whereas a rod in Moses' hands will part the Red Sea. It depends whose hands it's in. A slingshot in my hands is a kid's toy, whereas a slingshot in David's hands is a mighty weapon. It depends whose hands it's in. Two fish and five loaves in my hands is a couple of fish sandwiches, whereas two fish and five loaves in Jesus' hands will feed thousands. It depends whose hands they're in. A nail in my hands can fix a piece of wood, whereas a nail in Jesus' hands can secure salvation for the entire world. It depends whose hands it's in. So put yourself, your plans, your fears, your hopes, your dreams, your talents, and all your relationships into God's hands. Because, as you can see, it matters whose hands they're in. As I say, it's a a poem that uh, every now and again I've kind of returned to as an encouragement to me, particularly when I'm feeling slightly daunted by the task that I think God has called me to. I wonder if you're one of those folk who... Knows up here, kind of its head knowledge perhaps, that God loves you, that He's chosen you, and that He's chosen you for a task, and He's called you to a task, and He's gifted you to do that task. But actually, if we're honest with ourselves, because I'm one of these people too, if I'm honest, I get very daunted by the thought that I'm serving Almighty God and He's relying on me to serve Him and do a job for Him and to introduce Him to others, a needy world, people who are hungry and thirsty for a Savior, for hope and a future. And I'll be honest, that thought kind of weighs upon me and I feel so inadequate. I wonder if anyone else here feels that way, feels so Uh, frail and inadequate and ill-prepared for whatever it is that God may have for you. Well, I think if that is you as well as me, I think we're in good company. And not just me, of course, Um, that's always good company. (laughs) No, we're in the company of Moses. Because actually I think Moses, from reading this passage and reflecting upon God's call and commissioned to Moses to carry out what was going to be really a a massive task, a real challenge, uh, and yet a fantastic opportunity. And you know, it really encourages me to look at how Moses, yes, the great Moses even, responds to God's call upon his life and his service to carry out a function and a task for God it gives me great encouragement that if even Moses struggles with that pressure and that responsibility, then I'm in good company. We're in good company, aren't we? He was a fearful man, and yet we know reading on that he was powerfully used by God simply by putting himself into God's hands. But the trouble with the Bible is That's probably a wrong way of putting it. (laughs) But you know what I mean. Is that when we know the Bible, we know the endings, don't we? And sometimes, perhaps too often, we will read the stories knowing how it all turns out. Um, I'm one of these very strange people who actually likes to know how things turn out. Um, I I like watching uh, Formula One. Any Formula One fans here? Well, that's two or three of us, anyway. (laughs) I oh, know there's a few more. Um, I actually prefer to watch the race knowing the results. I know that's really bizarre, isn't it? But I do, because I can enjoy it then if I know what the result is. Uh, whereas if I'm watching it and, and all the excitement and the crashes and the pit stops and all of this, if my favorite driver, if I know he's not going to win, then somehow it spoils the pleasure of the race. Really strange, I know. I also, when I'm reading books, I'm one of these people that's constantly flicking forwards a few pages to see what's coming up next because I'm kind of, you know, I'm reading the story in my mind. I'm kind of guessing what happens next and actually it's quite exciting. I'm I'm always scanning to the the end of the next page to see if if what I think and what I hope is going to come about actually comes about because actually I'm one of these people. I like to know how the story ends, particularly if it's a a happy ending and of course we know that you know the story uh, works out well there's a lot of trials along the way but Moses is used powerfully by God but let's forget that for a minute and try and put ourselves into Moses shoes well okay Moses sandals as he is impacted by this voice of God from a burning bush something remarkable not just that burning bush, but the voice of God calling to him to take off those sandals. He's on holy ground. I'd have been petrified. In fact, indeed, through many of these conversations through the Bible, when God uh, or Jesus talks to people, we we, we read that these are holy moments and they want them to know that this this is something to be recognized and savored, but it must have been frightening, and so often we hear these words, do not be afraid, when angels or gods, the voice speaks to his servants, to call them. So it's not surprising then, perhaps Moses and myself and maybe some of you too, just find this whole thing about his call and his purpose in using us really quite a burden, quite stressful. But I want us to look at this uh, call of Moses um, to gain some tips and to think about our own call, God's purpose for us, and to be encouraged by it. And we're going to do that using three C's. Um, I trained at Spurgeon's College. I can't remember where you trained. Regents. So I trained at Spurgeon's College. They're very keen on the old three-point sermons. They were, anyway, when I was training. And all of them C's, so that's pretty good, isn't it? Call, so we're going to think about Moses' actual call and what he did. We're going to think about competence or competency. I'm never quite, I'm never quite sure which, which, which way we say that word. But his ability, in other words, so his competence to do what God's called him to. And then the third C we're going to look at is companionship in order for him to carry out. So call, competence, and companionship. But let's, uh, oh, let's add a fourth in. We'll start with the context. You see, the Israelites have been enslaved in Egypt. They've been in there for generations now. And, of course, Moses had himself been in Egypt. He'd uh, been uh, delivered up uh, as, as part of a rescue plan of God's to save him. And we know the story, don't we, of how uh, his mother put him into the basket and just, I mean, what an act of faith that was, just to, uh, to send him off trusting God with, his, with the outcome. Um, but we know, don't we, that Moses was pulled out from uh, the river by uh, one of Pharaoh's daughters and was raised in Pharaoh's palace. Wow, what a kind of up and down kind of story so far. He had had so much privilege, he'd been there in Egypt... He'd had amazing opportunities, in fact, to, uh, to be used by God already to alleviate the suffering of his people. And yet, we find that uh, because of his failings, he's now uh, had to run away to escape for fear of his life. He's probably thinking, what a failure. What opportunities I had, and now look at me. I'm I'm tending sheep for my father-in-law, Jethro. And of course, that's the place, that's the context in which then God appears to him and grabs his attention through that burning bush. Because he has a plan and a purpose for him. And when we feel particularly um, inadequate to the call of God. We need to remember what uh, the words of Jesus were to um, the Apostle Paul from 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, where he said to Paul in his, in his prayer, through his prayer, in his, his dream, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Can we say that together? This is 2 Corinthians 12:9. Let's say it together. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is God's word to us when we feel inadequate and weak and insufficient for the task. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, what God is looking for when he, when he calls us For a task is not so much our ability, but our availability. He's looking more for a channel of what He wants to do than a champion, someone who is perhaps already, you know, really competent and, and able. God chooses the foolish things of this world, we're told in Scripture, aren't we? To confound the wise. He chooses the weak things of this world to, uh, to surprise and confound that which is strong in the world's view. So actually, if we feel, if we're feeling now really inadequate to whatever it is that God is calling us, maybe you have a very clear idea of what God uh, has for you to do in your service of him, and you just feel like, oh, I really don't know if I'm up to this, then you're in a good place. Because if you are weak, then he can be strong. If you feel strong and confident, then I think what God is saying here through Scripture is that there is less space and capacity for God to do his miracle-working power. And of course, he doesn't want us to have the credit, but he wants him, the glory to go, to him. So, he appears to Moses through uh, grabbing his attention through the burning bush in order to call him. And as part of his call, we read these words in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 to 8. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, God says. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, And I am concerned about their suffering. So, God says, I have come down to rescue them. Wow. Doesn't that just kind of sum up the gospel? That we have a God who sees the suffering of his people. Who hears their cries to him. And then thirdly, in response, has come down to rescue them. Isn't that just the whole gospel there in in, in one little thing? And yet this is way early in the Old Testament. What a kind of, we'd call this a foreshadowing of what was going to kind of happen later as God came in the form of Jesus. When he came as light into our darkness, as Emmanuel, God with us, because we have a God who sees, who hears, and who has come down to save. What a wonderful God we serve. You see, that's God's motivation. Actually, it's not just to give us. When He calls us, when He gives us something to do, it's not just to keep us busy. It's not just to grow us, but because He loves His world so much, as we're reminded in the Gospel of John that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He loves his world so much. He loves his people as we look in this context of Moses and his Israelite nation in Egypt. He loves them so much that he's seen their suffering, he's heard their cries, and now he is coming down in the form of speaking into the life of Moses and calling him to be his tool in his hand to go and rescue them, to be the rescue package. You see, when Jesus came as God in human flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, what he began was something that he wanted us to be part of. You see, Jesus came not just to save the world all on his own, though he did. He did everything that was necessary by dying on the cross, and carrying our sins, so that the barrier that has kept us from the grace and forgiveness of God was carried by him and taken away, and his power over sin and death meant that he rose again on the third day. He did everything that was necessary to save his world, to save you and me, and yet he chooses to call you and me to be a part of Letting that good news, that gospel be known to those that he pl- kind of plants us alongside. Where we live, our neighborhood, where we, where we worship, our community, or here in Shirley. Where we work and the people that we work amongst or where we study and the people we study with. Wherever we are planted by the Lord, he has chosen and is calling us to be the tool in his hand to let people know that there is hope, that there is grace, that there is a savior, and that he has seen their suffering, he has heard their cry, and has come down to save them. He wants us to be part of that saving plan. I wonder what we hear. I wonder what we see when we go about our everyday lives. When we go out from here in a little while and we walk out into the, what's that, high street? No, it's sort of Stratford Road, isn't it? It kind of feels like the high street of, of Shirley. Although I think that's more over there now, isn't it? But anyway, when we go into our community, what do we, I don't necessarily mean literally, but with our spiritual antenna up, what do we see? Of the suffering of people in our community. Do we have eyes that are open to that? You see, God sees it. But are we seeing what God sees? What do we hear as we go about our everyday lives of the cries of the people who feel they're living in darkness and they have no hope? What do we hear with our spiritual ears? Because unless we see with his spiritual eyesight and hear with God's hearing, then we will, it will be such a big gap between living our lives and responding to the needs of the people that God places us alongside. Because they need to know that Jesus has, God has come down in Jesus to save them. Are we prepared to go? So you see I believe that God is calling every single one of us. Sometimes he does that with something really attention grabbing. I mean, I'm kind of looking out and I don't know, you know, what your journey of life, your journey of faith is. Some of you may be well on the way on your journey of faith. Maybe you've been believing and trusting God for many years and serving him faithfully and worshiping him here. Can you look back? What was, was there an attention-grabbing moment that Jesus, co- that Jesus caught your attention and convinced you of your need for him? Just bring that to mind again because sometimes we can, that can be so long ago that we can so easily lose our first love, our sense of excitement and our sense of urgency in being that voice for him, in being that, that channel of his to bring salvation. It's good, isn't it, to remind ourselves of our first love for the Lord and how He grabbed our attention. I can remember mine, I won't bore you with it, but God used a particular person in the church in which I was growing up in Guernsey that just grabbed my attention and I knew I needed to find out more. How did God grab your attention? He used a burning bush for Moses. But I think there's also another context in which God grabs our attention, even when we are, when we've responded to that first call upon our lives. I think there are times in our journey when, when He kind of grabs our attention again. When I was called into ministry, God had to grab my attention. I was living, still living in Guernsey. I was working away as an accountant in the offshore tax sort of side of Guernsey, as you're probably all aware, Guernsey and Jersey in their tax status. And I was was a Christian, I was serving in the church as a deacon, but I was getting on with life and I was so busy with work and God needed to grab my attention because he had something new for me. And in fact, the way he did it with me is that I was unwell. Now, let me just make clear, I don't believe, reading through Scripture, that God chooses to bring adversity upon us in order to grab our attention. So let me just make that one clear. Okay? But I do believe that God does allow the natural consequences of the choices we make to show us that perhaps those aren't the choices He would have for us. And, and He made it very clear, I, and, and I have to say, I, was, I had kind of one of these records. That I, had re, I was blessed with fantastic health. I don't think I'd had a day off work for many years, and I'll be honest, I was very proud of that fact. Interesting, isn't it, that God chose the one thing I was very proud about to bring me low or allow me to be spoken to. He made me pause, and he spoke into that time and said, Neil, I have something new for you to do. And then the the rest is, is history as I followed that call. But he needed to get my attention. I wonder if God is trying to get your attention. Or maybe you think he has got your attention, but you're resisting it, as Moses did. You see, he calls us. We each and every one of us, I believe, have a call from God, not only to give our lives to him, but then to serve him in whatever way he chooses. And it may not be in our areas of confidence, our areas of security. It may be in something completely different. It may be really quite alarming, as it was for me, when huh, I actually sensed God saying I want, he wanted me to go into ministry. That was the last thing I would have had on my mind for serving God. But he called, and it took a little bit of time, but I followed. Is, what's he calling you to today? And is he trying to grab your attention, or are you just so busy that perhaps he's going to have to do something a little bit more obvious. We all have a call. Secondly, competence. Moses' response to God's call through um, the burning bush was this. Chapter 3, verse 11. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? That was a bit like my response when I felt over a period of time that God was saying, I want you to come away from Guernsey. I want you to bring your wife and your daughter away. You're going to leave the island. I want you to train for ministry. My response was, whoa, no, (laughs) I'd never preached at that point, I'd never had any kind of experience in what I would call ministry, although now I would say we all have uh, different things which are equally ministry. Standing up here isn't the only form of ministry, there's lots of ministry and we're all called to them. But I really wanted to resist, Moses really wanted to resist. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Please, know. God's answer in chapter 4, verse 2 is, is an unusual one, actually. He said, what's that in your hands? Well, it's, he was a shepherd. It was his shepherd's staff, his rod. So, we don't know if he, you know, if he said what it is, but it, God says, I want you to throw it down, that staff. And thank you, Sarah, for wonderfully setting the scene for this with the children and just reminding us of that miracle. You see, what God did, when you think about it, was he wasn't just performing a miracle. He was taking something of the essence of Moses, who he is, who he was at that point, what he did. He was a shepherd, so he had his shepherd's rod. But God was saying, right, I'm going to take you, a shepherd, and I am going to transform supernaturally who you are and what you can do. And he showed him what, how by taking his, the thing that all shepherds would need and he said, throw it down. And he transformed it into a snake. And then when he picked it up, it was his rod again. And of course, as we read on in the story, at various points when God says to Moses, so let's, for example, the parting of the Red Sea, and God says, hold out your, stretch out your rod, and the water parted. In other words, that rod was a kind of physical reminder of the power and the ability of God when he calls to do the task, yeah? So it was this reminder that, of course, Moses felt totally inadequate, but God was saying, that's good, that's what I want, that's where you need to be, but I am going to transform what you would do naturally and who you are naturally into something supernatural so that you can be effective for me. Interestingly, he also... You see the symbolism of this. He he gets Moses to throw it down or lay it down. You see, Moses had to actually walk away from what he was doing as a shepherd of sheep for his father-in-law So he has to kind of lay down what he's been doing so far in order to pick up again what God is now calling him to, which would be a shepherd of his people. So he's laying down something in order to pick up what God has for him. I wonder if God is asking us to lay something down. For me, it was something that so filled my time that it left me very little time for anything else. And God asked me to lay down, in a in, in way, who I was. I, I was an accountant. And God was saying, lay that down. But then pick up what I am calling you to be, what I am transforming you to be, and giving you to do. I wonder if God, for any of us, is if we're resisting, is saying, just want you to lay this thing down in order that we can pick up something new together that God will empower. Um, and the other thing I think that this raises is that question for each and every of us. What, what's that in your hand? Because that's what God said to Moses, didn't he? What is that in your hand? What is that in your hand, Shirley Baptist Church? Each as individuals, as a church, what, what is the thing that we have that God wants to use? I suspect it's partly this building. What a fantastic resource you've got here. Why? Because God's given it to you. He's grown it, he's developed it, and he wants you to use it. I know you are, but that's an example. But sometimes we have to lay it down, or perhaps our kind of ways we've used it in the past, maybe he wants us to use it differently. So we pick it up and do something different. Maybe for you it's, it is a gift that you have, a talent. And God's saying, lay this down so that we pick it up together because I'm going to use this for my glory. I'm going to transform whatever that is, that talent that you have that's not really being used to the full, and I'm going to make it supernaturally work for, for the kingdom. I wonder what's in your hand. It may be an opportunity. It may not be a talent. It may be an opportunity. Maybe there's an opportunity that you have. Uh, Let's think of an example. Okay, maybe you're at the school gate on a regular basis picking up the children, dropping the children off, whatever. And you're getting to know the people around, and there's opportunities for conversations. Maybe that's the thing that's in your hand. Maybe it's an opportunity. Maybe there's a group that you, you go off cycling with, or maybe there's another group that you meet to jog in the park. Whatever it may be, what's in your hand? that God might want to use to get that message of hope to people who need to hear it. So there's a call on each and every one of us. There's a competency. When we feel inadequate, that's good because he will give us everything we need. He will transform what we already have and make it powerful for him. And then the third thing is companionship. Moses after sort of saying, no, I couldn't possibly do that. His response then was, oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. Exodus 4, verse 13. Have you ever said that to God? I know I have. Lord, please send someone else. This was kind of Moses' response. Well, God is very patient. His response was, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. In other words, he's not saying, okay, I'll send Aaron instead, I'll let you off now. No, he says, okay, I will give you a companion. And together, two are better than one. There's a lovely uh, passage that, uh, in Ecclesiastes, isn't there, where it says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It's a verse, when I used to kind of conduct weddings, I don't know, if, Paul, whether this has ever come up in a wedding service, but it's, it's, it's a verse that reminds a couple when they're being kind of joined together in matrimony, that, that, that the, the two are stronger than, than, than one, but actually when the Spirit brings them together, a cord of three strands is, is hard to break. There's that sense of unity uh, in that picture. But for Moses, it's, Moses and Aaron are going to be sent together because God knows that we are better when we go with than on our own. You see, when Jesus was sending his disciples out, he sent them out two by two, didn't he? Because he knew that they would be an encouragement to one another. We all need that encouragement. That's why we're called together to be his church, to encourage one another to work in pairs, to work in teams, to pray together. I wonder who, in response to your call, trusting God for the competency, I wonder who God has put with you to, to, to carry out that task. Or who he's calling you to support who is really struggling in what they're doing. You see, we are brought together to encourage one another. Part of the reason, and I finish with this now, part of the reason that associations have grown up regionally is so that we can uh, be companions for one another. So as a regional association, in fact, we have five core values, but one of them, probably our top one, is companionship, where we promise to walk with and watch over one another in ministry. And as churches, to cluster churches together, to encourage each other. Because we need that encouragement, don't we? God knew that Moses needed that encouragement. And so he put Aaron with him. And the rest, well, we need to read on to see how effective God is in using them to rescue his people. Ups and downs along the way. And we'll all encounter that, won't we? So, just to conclude then, what, how have you responded to God's call on your life? Firstly, to give your life to Him, but also in serving Him. Have you heard His call? Is He trying to grab your attention? Secondly, are you, are you resisting because you feel so lacking in competency? He will. Transform what you have got and use it for his glory. And then who is he wanting you to work with so that actually together you can be an encouragement to each other and then ultimately, as a church, as individuals, you can bring that wonderful message of hope and the good news of the gospel to a community that needs to hear it, who are crying out, who are oppressed, who need that hope, who need that light in the darkness. You are the light of the world. He wants you to take it out. I trust and pray that as I am encouraged by Moses, that you too will, and that as we respond, we will see God do amazing things in this place and for his glory. Amen.